the Everson Cooper podcast. We are entrepreneurs that are interested in what makes people successful. In this podcast, we sit down with a wide range of people with diverse perspectives and backgrounds. We dive into the obstacles that they've had to overcome, their successes, unique experiences, and everything in between. Our goal is to continuously learn from those around us and share their knowledge so that we can all find something that makes us better and makes those around us better. We hope you enjoy. Hey everyone, Andy from Everson Cooper. On the podcast today, we have Terry Weaver. Terry is the co-founder of the VEL Institute. VEL stands for Veterans, Entrepreneurs, and Leaders. Through VEL, Terry is helping to make an impact in many, many lives of uh, different people by bringing together different veterans, entrepreneurs, and leaders that may not otherwise cross paths in an effort to learn, grow, challenge, and enrich others. Terry has an incredible story from serious childhood obstacles of being exposed to poverty, drugs, and incarceration, joining the military as a way out of the vicious cycle, to having his own struggles as an adult, and now ultimately being happily married, raising a family, running an incredibly successful nonprofit, and just crushing every day trying to improve himself and those around him. I'm telling you, this is a great story. Check out the Vell Institute at Vell. Institute.org. That's V E L Institute.org. Uh, there you can find out how to get involved, how you can donate. Please donate. And how you can learn more about what Terry and Vell are doing to affect positive change and have a lasting impact in the lives of veterans, entrepreneurs, and leaders. So without further ado, please enjoy our conversation with Terry Weaver. Terry, thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. Good you're to be very, here. You're very welcome. So I'm excited. Um, I haven't known you very long, but you are an incredibly fascinating person. Um, you, you have a lot of experience. You've done a lot of things. You have a lot of impact in our community, and that interests me um, because any, anytime there's someone that has uh, an eclectic experience, I think also you're not just you know, one, one career path, which isn't bad. Um, that, that's very much myself. I have a, you know, kind of an eclectic background. So, mm-hmm. so that was that. that um, I'm interested in that. I'm always interested in, in what people are doing and, and how you got, you know, where you got. So um, certainly we're going to talk about VEL, um, uh, how you got started with that, um, what you're wanting to do, your your goals, your mission, you know, all that stuff. Um, talk a little bit about your background. Uh, you served in, in the Navy yep. um, and, and kind of, um, you know, the backdrop that that, you know, created for you going forward. Um, but the first thing I want to I ask you, you're, you're a pretty fit guy. Uh, so I'm curious, what's your, what's your workout like? What, what do you do? Well, I uh, for the past couple of years, I've been working out at a CrossFit esque gym. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's kind of the the typical uh, warehouse, but um, it, it started out as a matter of fact, the guy who started he brought cross, CrossFit to the Woodlands. His name's Scott Wells, and he did he did that for a couple of years, but then it kind of morphed, and he 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 built his own routines. Mm-hmm. He uses the conjugate method. We do a lot of uh, Olympic weightlifting, but we also do a lot of mobility stuff. So uh, anywhere from you know lunges to sprinting to bench press to overhead press, all just a mix. It's a very eclectic workout. You go in there and you'll never get the same workout. Mm-hmm. So I do that five times a week. 
Wow, good for you. Morning guy, afternoon guy, evening, what? I try to get in there in the morning because I have the most energy and uh, I can compete better in the morning. And as you go through your day, um, your motor kind of wears down. So I'm I'm the best in the morning. And that kind of sets my day up. So that's my preferred preferred time. So I guess talk a little bit about what's your morning routine like. You've got wife and kids and whatever, so Mm -hmm. there may not always be a normal morning. So kind of talk a little bit about that. I am a routine guy. And about, man, about a year and a half ago, two years ago, I started waking up at 3.30 a.m. Wow, good for you. Yeah. So, and and I did that for a reason. I've tested a couple different times. I used to get up at at 5, but uh, my kids wake up at 6. So for me, my routine is I wake up at 3.30 a.m. and my coffee's ready. I set it for... 320. Uh, I go down and get a cup of coffee and I go directly to my, my Bible. I read the Bible for a half an hour yeah. right after I grab my coffee and then I pray for a half an hour. Mm-hmm. So roughly, uh, an hour of like spiritual devotion to, to the word of God and, and prayer. And then right after that, I throw the gym clothes on and go to the gym for an hour yeah. and work out for an hour straight. Nice. So I have to ask, have you read the morning miracle? I the, 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 was it Miracle Morning, Morning Miracle? I forget the name. I have not. Okay, no. so um, that sounds very similar to, to the, I guess, the, the, the guidelines of that book. So it's, it's having a full comprehensive morning before you, you know, put your suit and tie on or, or you know, whatever you do, um, you know, by the time 8 a.m. rolls around or whatever your, you know, work life looks like. Um, yeah, it's... It's something you're, you're in silence, spiritual, you're connecting with you know, your spiritual guide light, <clears throat> you're doing something physical, uh, you're doing something challenging, you're expanding yourself, you're reading. Um, and there's, you know, I, I read the book, so I'm, I'm failing myself here um, that uh, there's, there's some other things, but basically, yeah, that's, that's like a full, full morning right there. And I'm with you. I mean, I thought I was doing good. I wake up, you know, like 530 so I thought I was doing good, but you're, you're at 3.30, so I'm, uh, i gotta, I got to up my game. Well, you don't have the children obstacle. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, I just have a dog that needs to be fed uh, yeah. at 5.45. So any, any sunlight that he sees, he's ready to go. So, you know, I gotta, we got to feed him. So, yeah, that's. Um, I don't think dogs and children are on the same level of, uh, of neediness and, and whatever. <laughs> so. All right, all right, all right. So <clears throat> you have a military background. Yeah. I'm always fascinated by that as well. I was not in the military, uh, but I have two older brothers. Uh, they're in the military. I actually have uh, my oldest brother is retiring this year, uh, serving 20 years in the Army. I have another brother in the Air Force. And so it's always fascinating to ask the question, you know, what drew you to the military? But more specifically, you were in the Navy. What mm-hmm. drew you to the Navy? Well, let me, it wasn't... Uh, well, here, here's how it went. I went to the Air Force recruiter because okay. I heard that the Air Force was the best branch to be a part of. And uh, when I when I got to the Air Force recruiter, uh, they seemed very lackadaisical. Everybody has quotas. <laughs> Theirs isn't high as the Navy or the Army okay. or the Marine Corps. So they can be very selective and they can, you know, from, from what I uh, experienced, there wasn't a huge sales push to get me involved. 
So I went to the Navy and it was completely different. They were my best friends. They did everything they could to get me interested. They Mm -hmm. talked about the different jobs they could offer me. So there was just way more interest. There was a connection and a kind of like an instant uh, draw from the Navy recruiter. Um, I knew I wanted to be in the medical field. Both the Air Force and the Navy offered that. So it it was just a matter of kind of who I got connected with uh, with faster. Mm -hmm. And that was the Navy recruiter. Uh, he got me the job that I wanted. He got me the the uh, date, my entrance date that I wanted, and he was just kind of Johnny on the spot. So it yeah. worked out that way. So when you joined the Navy, how old were you? I was 17. You're 17. So mm-hmm. you enlisted. So you enlisted right out of high school. Right, yeah. 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 Okay. Uh, so you, you were in the medical field. Talk about what you did in the Navy. How, and, how, and how long were you in the Navy? I was in for five years. Okay. Uh, I was a Navy corpsman, and I didn't see a ship at all. I, I was stationed with the Marines the whole time. So okay. I kind of had this unique opportunity to, to be in the Navy, but uh, really I served with the Marines the whole time mm-hmm. on a Marine base. So um, had my 18th birthday in boot camp and my 21st birthday in Kuwait waiting to yeah. uh, enter Iraq. So good experience. Um, I loved it, man. Wouldn't yeah. change a thing. That's awesome. Yeah. So what was the year that you enlisted? Is it, was this, this is post 9-11 or pre-9-11? No, it was 99. 99? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you, okay. You enlisted a year after my oldest brother. You enlisted in 1998. Okay. Um, and yeah. And, uh, not, not to be dramatic or anything, but things changed in, yeah. in, in 2001. Yeah. Uh, for sure. You know, just, just the, kind of the way that, uh, we viewed what his job was. And, and fortunately he, he, he served time in, in Kuwait. Um, but that was pre 2001 and then he was in South Korea and then in other places and so it uh, wasn't as tension filled for, for our family as, as some people was so that's uh, yeah it's fascinating so so you're in Kuwait yeah alright what other what other places did you go around the world because that's always fascinating too I think that changes you as a person yeah I did that. I did one deployment to Iraq mm-hmm. and we state we, we were our set up kind of our uh, our station to prepare to enter Iraq was Kuwait. So that was my one deployment. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was in Kuwait for a little while, entered Iraq, spent some time there, and then flew out. That's okay. that's my only deployment. Yeah, yeah. Did you enjoy it? Yeah, I had a great time, man. Yeah. Would I, you, if you had the opportunity, would you have done it again? Absolutely would have done it again. Yeah. And here's why. I think one of the most memorable things for me when I was in Iraq was how much I appreciated what... Um, what I had here in, in the States. Mm-hmm. And I remember distinctly thinking, I think I had saved up $13,000. And I remember saying to myself, I'd give $13,000 to be back in the United States for one day. Yeah, I'd give it all. I'd give all the money that I had in my bank account to be back in the United States for one day to spend time with my family in a free country. Mm-hmm. And so I never had that appreciation before I spent time in a, in a, in a, in a war zone. Uh, where freedom wasn't uh, pervasive, yeah. so gave me a, a tremendous appreciation for what we have. Gives you a lot of perspective at a, at a young age too. At a young age, um, yeah. not everyone gets that perspective, even even as they go on in their life. You know, forties, fifties, sixty, you know, years old. That's right. Not everyone is able to have that perspective. So that's incredible. That's um, that's a really good story. I, I really like that. Um, you know, so. Uh, <coughs> So every every person that serves always has a special special place in my heart. Um, just one because I'm American, you know, love this country; it's the greatest country in the world. But I have brothers, and I had two older brothers that that served, and um, you know, they were never. Fortunately, 
they were never they never had to go in, in harm's way mm-hmm. um, and so I, that doesn't always happen so I, and it, it's it's not easy it's it's it's, it can, it's a very difficult job being away from your family you know the experience in hindsight is probably incredible but when you're living it when you're in it you're like man I'll take my whole life savings if I can just go back home you know I, I'm you know maybe homesick or just like I'm I'm ready for for something different so that's right yeah. that's that's awesome good for you yeah that's incredible um so I want to fast forward a little bit mm-hmm. not, we're not going to be in, in, uh, entirely linear um but I don't want to bury the lead I want you to talk about Vel okay so military background um obviously there's time between you um coming out of the military and starting Vel but um and maybe this you know your 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 you talking about Vel will kind of help fill in uh, the gap but when did it occur to you that you wanted to to start Vel? What was you know the the moment of inspiration, mm-hmm. or was it a series of things, or whatever? So talk about talk about Vel. Talk about yeah. entrepreneurs and leaders. Yeah, that's it's, it's kind of a uh, it's kind of a complex story, and it and it came, it was kind of an outpouring from uh, me wanting to continue to serve. So I, I got out of the military in two thousand four, and I wanted to leave. Uh, I wanted to make as much money as I could, mm-hmm. and and I wanted no one to tell me what to do. <laughs> Shows my age. <laughs> so I thought, uh, okay, I'll go get a business degree, and then I'll I'll start a business. Um, and that's what I did. Uh, I actually, out of business school, I went into sales because that was the best path for me to make the most money. I mm-hmm. thought, and started making really good money. And for me, I really missed. I really started to miss the purpose aspect of what I was doing. And not to say that that for everybody that's in sales, there's no purpose in it because that's that not everyone's the same. But for me, I served my country and there was a deeper sense of uh, purpose when I did that. And I, I was longing for that, I felt like, mm-hmm. after being away for it for almost 10 years. So... Um, because of that and, through, and, and because of some other stuff that happened, I, I, I had a kind of a rough six or seven years, uh, uh, got heavily involved in drinking and just kind of running from some pain. And I came, all, I came out of that in 2012, 2013 timeframe. And when I came out of that, I felt like through some, uh, through some prayer and, and deep soul searching that I was meant to pursue some type of ministry. And I started to begin to think about what I could do to, to give back and continue to serve. Mm-hmm. And, and at the time, um, some of my, my friends that I actually went in the military with were struggling big time, struggling in life. Um, so I thought, well, maybe I can do something to help them and, and extend a hand to my brother and brothers and sister, uh, sisters in arms and, and, uh, so that's kind of where this began to well up and, and it was the impetus for me to start, uh, a nonprofit to help, uh, develop veterans and mm-hmm. connect them with leaders and entrepreneurs. But it was also, a, you know, a, it was also a general call to, to ministry for me. So to, to serve others, that's what ministry, the word ministry, that's where it comes from. It yeah. comes from a Greek word to serve, Yeah. to serve others. So that's, that's kind of a very condensed version of where, where the, the impetus to, to start Vail came from. Yeah. And, and Vail stands for veterans, entrepreneurs, and leaders. It's an institute that we, that we started back in 20, early 2014. Mm-hmm. 
and we've slowly grown over the past uh, four years. Yeah. So, so four years in, are you on track? Are you? Is this where where you imagine, or or it, has it changed and kind of taken on a life of its own? You're like, you know what? Uh, I couldn't have imagined it, mm-hmm. but it's better than I better than I could have imagined. You know, whatever. Well, it, let me put it. Let me phrase it this way. It's it's very exciting. And it's very scary at the same time because we're long, we're building something from scratch, mm-hmm. and we did it on a part-time basis. I have two co-founders, a board of directors, and uh, some ambassadors that that are engaged in building Vell Institute, and a lot of community leaders are involved. Mm-hmm. And we did it on a part-time basis from 2014 to uh, January 1 of 2018. So. January 1st of 2018, I left a full-time ministry role as a pastor and went full-time with Vell Institute. Yeah. We didn't have an established funding base, so it, it is really a startup. And, and it's super exciting and fun, and we get to start every day new and, and, uh, and charge our objectives, and, and we're having a good time doing, doing good with it. Yeah. So talk about the people that you surround yourself with. Yeah. Um, you said you had a couple of co-founders, mm-hmm. you have some ambassadors, and you have a board. Um, talk about their role. Maybe not necessarily in the you know, non-profit hierarchical role, mm-hmm. but what's their role for helping guide the organization, which ultimately is guiding you. Right. Um, yeah. so, so talk about you know, their role and, and, uh, and what they mean to you. Yeah. Well, my two co-founders, uh, Charles Noonan and uh, Will Holder, one's a former uh, Navy submariner and the other is a former Marine. And these guys, I get to spend a lot of time with a lot of different people. And I've, get, I've gotten to meet probably hundreds of veterans. But these guys in particular stood out because they had a heart to serve. And you can tell when somebody has a heart to serve. You can just feel it. Mm-hmm. Because they want to, they want to give, and they want to, they want to do things for others, and you can feel that. Um, so that those are the type of people that I gravitate to. Because up until about 2015, I was trying to do it all on my own, and I came to a breaking point. At the time, I was a full time pastor, and I was trying to juggle Vell, and I got, I came to a point where I, where I had to be realistic with myself. And I said, there's no way that I can be a full-time pastor and the leader of a nonprofit all on my own. Mm-hmm. I have to recruit. I have to find some guys that share this vision. And right when I made a decision to either shut down the nonprofit, shut down Vell, or find somebody who could help me shoulder some of the responsibility and carry the vision forward, that's when everything changed. Yeah. So these guys had, had the right hearts. And fortunately... Uh, I do believe that was that they're both godsends because they have a skill set that I don't. One of them's a, he, he's a strategy guy, and and he he's a strategic thinker. So he thinks in three year blocks and ten year blocks. Where I think it, I think of how am I going to make the most out of today? Who cares about tomorrow? <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> how am I going to crush today? Yeah, and find donors and find uh, program participants and do my very best today. And Will, my my other co-founder, Will, he has uh, he's a great communicator, so he can he can uh, leverage media and, and communication tools to to share our message the right way. He has graphic design skills. He can build out 
um, our website. So these guys just happened to fill these gaps in that I that I didn't have. So those are the those are the co-founders that uh, that I do believe were were godsends and just great men. Mm-hmm. Um, they take ownership in this, and that's that's why they're they're co-founders. Uh, when I brought them in, we looked at what we were doing. Uh, the nonprofit before was called the Warriors Refuge, mm-hmm. and we rebranded it. We rebranded it because um, we wanted the name to match the programs. We were surrounding ourselves with veterans and entrepreneurs, which is really just an extension of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and so we came up with the name Bell Institute to to kind of match our programs. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> That's you make a good point. About, and I just wrote down complementary skill sets. That's something that Elizabeth and I found out early when we uh, opened Everson Cooper, uh, which we're, we're coming right up on two years. And you know, she's she's the guiding force. She's you know the person that's doing it every single day. And so she's kind of like you. She's thinking about how am I going to crush today? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not so focused on what we're doing tomorrow. And for me, uh, you know, I'm not in it every single day. And so I'm, I'm able to have, you know, an eye on a month from now, next quarter, next year, that type of stuff. And so having that complementary skill set, because you can't do everything by, by yourself. If you want to be really, really successful, if you want to grow it and, and yeah. you have a vision, you have mm-hmm. a mission, it's not to be, you know, this, just this small organization only touches a couple people. Right. And it certainly isn't already. Right. Yeah. And so kudos to you for that. But, yeah, you have to surround yourself with people that have the complementary skill sets because not every single person has that. And that's not something that I think everyone knows starting out. Mm-hmm. And and it's not even something, even if you know that starting out, it's not something that you can figure out immediately because you might think, oh, on paper this person has A, B, and C, but really in application, they have X, Y, and Z. Right, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, so that's, I think, being able to surround yourself with people like that is, is good. And I think that's why... Uh, Vel is is doing some really really good things and growing and touching a lot of people and making a deeper impact every single day. Thanks, man. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I really do think you have to share. Um, if you if you're really concerned about making an impact, you have to share that with people. Mm-hmm. You have to give give that away. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you're gonna you're gonna be uh, stuck and you're gonna isolate and you're gonna be concerned with your motives. But if you can share that vision and have people take ownership, then You've got a real good opportunity to to expand and, and grow something bigger than yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when, I want to backtrack a little bit because I'm always curious about when people make a transition. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so so you were in the military for five years. You're in the navy for five years, and you get out of the military. Did you have what? What was your goal? What did you want to do? I know that you mentioned you you wanted to make as much money as you can, and you didn't want anyone to tell you what to do. What was the application of like? Uh, you, what um, I know you went into sales. So talk about the the job or a couple of jobs that you had. What did they do for you? What did you learn? Um, I'm always curious about that. What was your yeah. transition like? I had a, I had some pretty cool jobs. Yeah. Uh, I went into sales for uh, Peterbilt, okay. so I sold big rigs. I sold Peterbilt's and Kenworth's, and then I ran a sales team for Kenworth. So we were out selling $200,000 trucks, um, sometimes in quantities of 50s and 100s and 200s and 300s, <laughs> which is incredible when you, when you think about that kind of transaction, yeah. multi-million dollars uh, transactions. Um, and I made some really good money, but I think I think the biggest... 
thing that I learned was to to grow something. There's a process involved. You you have to make a decision. We heard this last week that you're not going to fail. And when you get the door slammed in your face, and when you get people who who hang up on you or won't return your calls, you just got to make a decision to keep after it, man. Mm-hmm. You you can't you can't let your will break. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a it's a process. It's a funnel, and you got to keep slinging stuff up in the funnel until you finally shake something out of the bottom of it. Mm-hmm. And so, I grew I grew a a good book of business out in Los Angeles selling Peterbilts, and then I moved to Houston and I grew a sales team selling Kenworths here in Houston. So I went through these growth processes of building uh, clientele in, in Los Angeles, and then I built a sales team in Houston with a clientele in Houston. So I started from scratch, like uh, two different organizations, basically, um, in a period of four years. So it really taught me, what it taught me is how to grow something mm-hmm. and how to grow something substantial. And it's it's a grind. It's yeah. a daily grind. You gotta you gotta wake up motivated, and you gotta go to bed, and and lick your wounds if you have to. But you gotta get up the next day and grind. Yeah. And it's fun, and you gotta keep yourself optimistic, <clears throat> and you gotta garner power from outside yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You you have to embrace it, uh, and that's something that uh, I ha- so I have to say I I, I have Philip Wilkerson fooled because he complimented me. He said, "Oh, you're you're a natural salesman." I certainly was not, and I corrected him. I said, certainly, certainly not. You know, I've been in sales for a sales position, I guess, for, for five years now. And the first couple of years, I didn't embrace it because my viewpoint of sales was what I created when I was a little kid. You're like, oh, used car salesman, oh, like snake oil and, mm-hmm. you know, just moving stuff around and kind of trying to confuse the customer or whatever. Not even. Not even. No. Not, not even close. People see through that. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and when I finally embraced it, not that I, um, and I, well, I think it's, it's still a challenge to, to embrace it because every day, every day is a little bit different, but you know, kind of like what you said, you wake up, you gotta be motivated. You gotta, you know, embrace the grind. Um, and it's, you're working to establish something very substantial. Isn't, you know, writing something down on a piece of paper, having this great theory and saying, all right, it's going to take care of itself. I've, you know, I, I figured it all out. I got you know, the bullet points here. No, it's, it's going to work. That's right, and that's that's not glamorous. Um, sometimes, a lot of times, it's not fun, especially when you're starting out. Um, but I think when you figure that out, when you embrace it, mm-hmm. you know that it's a process. Mm-hmm. And when you can help, when you can see the process through, you know you're really making some some some, uh, some strides. And so, I, so creating the, creating that, having the so you were in that sales position, you were with Peter Bilton, and you were with Kenworth. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, you moved from Los Angeles. So are you a Southern California guy? Yeah, I grew up in, in uh, San Bernardino, California, okay, yeah, the, the yeah. armpit of California. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've never been there, so I, I can't um, I, I can't uh, can't judge. Um, that's uh, one city I still have never been to. I've flown through LAX. That's it. I've been to a lot of cities, uh, but I've not been to LA to Los Angeles. So okay, is that? I'm curious now. So you grew up in Southern California, grew up in the Los Angeles area, from yep. San, San Bernardino. Talk about that. What um, what was it like? You know, what was kind of what was your you know childhood you know like a little bit? Um, I'm always curious. Again, um, what were some some experiences when you were a kid that helped that you still think about now that shaped mm-hmm. you know you as an adult? Like I remember that, and 
I, I always keep that in the back of my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes it can, that that does have a, a geographic uh, backdrop. Sometimes, yeah. yeah. You know, for, for, so for me, it was the pillow. Uh, I'm from Iowa, and uh, I always kind of joke with my wife. You know, like, oh, Iowans, you know, we're 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 just nice. We're nice people. You know, um, and so that's that's just like a common you know thread or whatever. So. Talk about where you grew up, um, your family dynamic a little bit, you know, some common threads that you yeah. kind of still keep with you. Well, I came from, uh, I, I grew up in, let me, let me start out this way. My, my parents split when I was four and, uh, they both went through some struggles with, with drugs and I grew up in a trailer park. However, I had a, I had a guiding light in mm-hmm. my grandparents. They, they were, they were guardian angels for mm-hmm. me. And I remember, um, they'd come and pick me up for church every Sunday morning. And we go, we, we drive down to our local church. Uh, and they, they, that's what kind of carried me through the rough stuff. Um, so my parents split at four, uh, my mom, um, Actually, she went to prison for uh, for dealing drugs when I was 11 years old. So, so the divorce and and her leaving, being incarcerated when I was 11 years old, very traumatic in my life. Yeah. But like I said, I had these guardian angels that that took care of me, mm-hmm. and I was saved at an early age. But I didn't have a strong relationship with the Lord, um, and I had all this weight and and uh, and uh, trauma from from this childhood that I walked around in mm-hmm. grew up in a very economically depressed area, San Bernardino. Um, it was in the eighties. There was a lot of methamphetamine use back then. A lot of, uh, a lot of drugs in the area that I grew up in. Um, it was, it was, was kind of rough, man. Yeah. I remember being, uh, beat up a couple times, you know, now it, this wasn't like Inglewood or, or Compton, but it was, uh, it was an armpit, man. Sure. It was a rough area. Yeah. Um, so that, that really, uh, that, that was a challenge for me for a long time. And, and, um, I didn't kind of work, I didn't work through some of those challenges until I was my, you know, in my late twenties, some of that stuff. But, uh, that, that kind of led me to joining the military. I wanted an out Mm -hmm. and I wanted to serve my country, but I'll tell you, Honestly, I wanted an out more than I wanted to serve my country. Yeah. Um, but it turned into wanting to serve. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And I love uh, that I served my country, but it did a lot for me. Mm-hmm. Very thankful for the military. Um, but my grandparents are still alive today, and and they were they were my guardian angels. They they took me to church every Sunday. I ended up running away at 16 and, um, joined the military at 17. And so those things stand out to me a lot, just kind of a rough childhood. Yeah. 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 So your grandparents, that, that makes me even more fascinated. Again, more, more common threads, Mm -hmm. the same thing. Um, not, not all the dynamics that you have. Uh, I, you know, mom, fantastic. Um, divorced, uh, you know, when I was, gosh, really my, my, my entire life, they, my parents have been divorced. Grandparents stepped in, you know, my, my grandpa was like the, uh, male figure mm-hmm. in my life. And then my, my, of course my older brothers, whatever. So that's always, that's, I'm always fascinated. Always. There's, there's more to it when you, when you allow someone to talk about, um, you know, their childhood, not in like a, 
like a psychology way. You know, you, you lay down on the couch. Sure. And, Let's talk about your childhood. Yeah. Problems. Yeah. It's not like that, but just like, where'd you grow up? You know, yeah. what, what are some, what are some cool stories that, yeah. that sheds a lot of light on, on who the person is and, and where you've come from and, and all that. So, so thanks for sharing that. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I, I think, I think what stands out the most is seeing these two distinct figures in my life. Um, my grandparents, which they had their troubles mm-hmm. and they went, they bumped their head, I'm sure. But I saw them in a, on a completely, uh, opposite side of the spectrum as my parents. Mm-hmm. And, and they picked me up and they took care of me. I remember they, uh, they would come pick up our clothes and they'd take them up to their house and wash them. And they'd come back with clean clothes and they'd come back with bags of groceries and they'd take us to the grocery store. They, they, they looked out for us. And, um, that, that really, it set an example for me. Uh, the good thing is, is today I've got a good relationship with my parents and we've made amends and my mom's serving the Lord. My dad's a believer and, and, uh, we just went through it. Just challenges. The good thing is you can get stronger through challenges. Mm -hmm. So it's, well, it's about the journey, right? It's about embracing the journey and knowing that unless you quit, you're never at your destination. You're, you're going to learn always along the way. That's right. Uh, and so that's fantastic that, you know, your, your parents have, have come through it uh, and they're good people. And so, and, and you, um, you know, you view them in a good light too. That's right. Uh, so yeah. that's, that's fantastic. Excellent. Okay. So I want to, want to change, um, change gears for a second. So you have a podcast with mm-hmm. the Bell Institute. Yeah. Uh, so you're kind of in the in the infantile stages, much like um, Elizabeth and I are with mm-hmm. the Everson Cooper podcast. So, what have you learned so far? What do you like about podcasting? Well, I love that um, you you get to find unique people that have unique stories, and if you can't learn from someone, <laughs> if you can't learn from somebody's experiences. Yeah whether they're really rough experiences or really great experiences, if you can't be interested in somebody and learn from them, you may have to do some introspection because we should be able to learn from everybody. Everybody's made uniquely and they have their own sets of gifts. And man, when you sit down and talk to somebody for an hour or an hour and a half, you can learn a ton. You can learn a ton. So that's been fun. That's been real fun. I like to find entrepreneurs and leaders from the community and, and really kind of dig in and, and find out what makes them tick so I can learn from them yep. and share that with others. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> including the podcast, mm-hmm. um, but you know, obviously not limited to it, through VEL, the veterans, entrepreneurs, and leaders, all the different people that you've come into contact with, mm-hmm. talk about some people that stick out, some people that maybe if it wasn't for having Bell and having these different programs, bringing different people together. Um, who are some people that stick out to you that otherwise you may not have had a chance to come across? Man, there, I, I have to tell you that there's some really, really good people in this world. Really good people. They care about causes. And, and I found people that have gifts to go out and make a bunch of money. And they want to share that, that gift with other people. They want, to, they want to sponsor events and they want to donate to good causes and they want to share their expertise. I've, I've, got, I've got to sit with a lot of really incredible leaders. One that stands out is Bill Winters. Uh, he's, he's a uh, local entrepreneur. 
He's started a bunch of companies. I just finished up a podcast with him, and he is actually building uh, natural gas fuel infrastructure in Texas. So um, the big 18-wheelers, they pull up and pump their, their 150 gallons of diesel. Mm-hmm. Well, he, he's building out the infrastructure so they can fill up with natural gas. There's Class 8 trucks that drive around, and, and they're fueled by natural gas. Somebody needs to fuel those those fleets, and he's building out the infrastructure. He's done all kinds of other incredible stuff. He's got a wood business, and he turns trees into fuel, and he sends it all over the United States. And and he has a banking uh, background, and he's he's in he's involved in a hydrogen project. But these these people are fascinating, and we can learn so much from them. And he's an avid reader, and uh, he's a strong Christian. He's just a fa- fascinating guy. He debunks all the environmentalist stereotypes there are because he serves by protecting the environment, mm-hmm. by reinventing a fuel structure, and and recycling woody debris Mm -hmm. and he's an environmentalist but he lives here in texas and he's a hunter and he's a christian and you know he's just a fascinating dude so he stands out uh i've got to spend some good time with bob milner who who's a veteran himself uh ex-air force guy fascinating guy he's he's he started and fixed vehicle dealerships throughout his life uh, most recently, he started the Mercedes here locally, the Mercedes dealership here locally. Mm-hmm. Just a f- fantastic guy. He's a giver. He serves on, I think, four or five nonprofit boards. Really good dude. Yeah. So, uh, man, I'm, I'm blessed by the company that I get to keep because I'm engaged in this work to, to help others. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, bef- it, it only takes a little while before you start heading in this natural direction and other really good people are walking in that same direction and you get to keep company with them when you're doing good stuff. I'm sure you've experienced stuff like that. Absolutely. Um, just, just having this company, um, and being, being a small business owner and, and Philip Wilkerson talked about this. We talked about this, um, on his podcast, being a small business owner, gives you a different setting than a lot of other opportunities would to be connected to the community mm-hmm. and you get to know people that you probably wouldn't otherwise get to know. And so, so Elizabeth and I used to be teachers and, and I'll, I'll, um, kind of, uh, recycle what I, what I was telling Philip about this. So I was a teacher for five years. Elizabeth was a teacher for six years and we were teachers here in, you know, Conroe ISD here in North Houston, uh, I was in a couple of different districts as well as a football coach, baseball coach. Uh, so incredibly engaged with the kids. And then also through sports, I mean, you, know, you probably know through sports, you get engaged with their, their parents or whoever is in their life, you know, who's, who's invested in their life. Um, so you get very, very connected with the community. Being a small business owner, I'm a hundred times more connected with what's going on in the community and connected with the people that live in the community and the, and the people that are making a difference yeah. in the community. Uh, not to say, and, and that, that's not, I'm not marginalizing sure. people in, in education. <clears throat> it's just, it's just a whole different level. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, I, I, I imagine you are feeling the same thing, you know, with Vel and, and the relationships that you're, that you're um, getting to have are that much tighter, that much, um, you know, impactful uh, for, for who you get to, to meet with and 
Um, so yeah, you know, em- embracing uh, the different people. Um, I think whether you're an extrovert or not, uh, I think just embracing different people that you get to come across, I think is, is, is awesome. That's, that's one of the best things that you can do is always learn, right? Yeah. Always try to learn from someone else. So I also wanted to say, and I have a note on here. <clears throat> so I was listening to the, your podcast with Bob Koenig uh-huh. and I don't know if, if you're a Tim Ferriss guy. Um, I do listen so, to him. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So Tim, I probably listen to every podcast yeah. uh, that he has. I just consume it just daily. It's in my ears, uh, among others. <clears throat> but he recently gave a podcast about podcasting. Okay. Uh, okay. I, I don't know if you had a chance to listen to it. Um, and he, he talked about on his podcast, there will be like moments of silence. Okay. You just, just let it lie. And some people don't like that. Some people don't like silence. Um, and actually, I wrote this on here as I was listening to to your podcast with Bob Koenig. And you guys had it's the, it was a natural conversation where you literally yeah you got your recording and there were like times where you're in between sentences and just yeah I'm, I'm very yeah. comfortable with Bob. Yeah. He is yeah. I, I'd be remiss to to um, to not mention that he has been a mentor. Mm-hmm. And one of the great servant leaders who has come alongside Vell Institute and helped us grow our impact. He's done more for Vell than uh, man. He he he's he's a fantastic individual. He took over our integrated leaders program mm-hmm. the very last session of the first seven weeks. So I led it for the first uh, first seven weeks. He came in the very last session. And once he entered that program, I said, man, I want to learn from this guy. And I said, Bob, will you help us lead this program? And he took it over and he is really, he's really a master facilitator. He doesn't own the conversation. He draws the best out of people. So he's another uh, amazing human being that I've got the opportunity to learn from and, and kind of kind of sit at his feet and, and just soak up as much as possible. He's a, he's a fantastic leader. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and <clears throat> Elizabeth and I were in one of the last uh, Integrated Leader programs. We read Daring Greatly by yeah. Mike Brown, fantastic book. Excellent. And you're right, Bob is a great, I think facilitator is a great word. Uh, because I think if you're a leader, you kind of like trying to pull people maybe in, in a certain direction or whatever. He's like, look, we're going to go where the conversation takes us. Mm-hmm. If you guys want to talk about this in the chapter, you guys want to talk about this in the chapter, it's, that's the purpose. And I, I think he he did a great job of allowing people to let their guard down, mm-hmm. to open up, and facilitate conversation that probably otherwise wouldn't wouldn't occur. Um, so kudos to you for uh, having him. He's he's fantastic, and I'm trying to recruit him to to come on our podcast too. Good for you. Uh, because smart move. He's he's a fascinating guy. I know he has a lot to offer. Yeah. Um, and uh, always always something that we can learn uh, from from Bob. And, and again. Haven't known him for very long, but he's made already a very, very deep impact, and uh, that's that's very, very evident. He uh, has that way judgment. with people. He has mm-hmm. that way with people. Yeah, yeah. So I'm curious, when you started Vell, now you're doing ministry at the same time, mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm curious what your experience and what your perspective was on nonprofits. Um, because running a nonprofit is very, very different. I know nothing about nonprofits. I've volunteered mm-hmm. and I've you know gotten to know uh, you know Vell and, and, and others, um, but actually running a nonprofit 
and making it a thing. Mm-hmm. That's the thing that you do. Mm-hmm. That's a whole other thing. So I'm curious what you knew about nonprofits, what your experience was. Uh, was it, you know, learning as you go? Talk about, talk about, so you, you, you were in, you know, the military, yeah. which is one thing, yeah. it's kind of a nonprofit sort of, I guess. Um, and then you were in sales. So very much for profit yeah. uh, in sales. And so you go kind of the, the other direction, you go nonprofit. So talk about maybe the contrast of them and what you learned along the way and what you like and what you like about each two. Yeah. Well, I love the challenge of, of it all. Um, I love the challenge of starting something and knowing nothing about it. I never sold big rigs until I uh, got a job with Peterbilt and, and Kenworth and, yeah. and just learned and figured it out. I never landed customers, but but the one thing that I did have, and if you have it, if you have the drive and you want to serve others and help others, you can be successful in anything you do. Mm-hmm. If you have drive and you want to serve others, you can be successful in anything you do. So I think some of the, the same things that I used in sales to build a successful book of business and take care of my customers, I used in ministry, believe it or not, to care for people. And when I was in ministry, I was a pastor over volunteer teams. And to lead people that uh, can tell you to take a hike, you know, it, it's tough to lead volunteers. Sure. And, and, I took care. I took care of people. I genuinely cared for people, and I wanted to see them succeed. And I grew uh, some good teams at the church. And I did the same thing with Vell. Is is you care for people, and and you grow something impactful. And and really, I mean, you can use these skills, these these drives, and, and the desire to serve people in many arenas in life, mm-hmm. um, in your family, and business, and nonprofit, and ministry. So. What people don't understand is a nonprofit is very similar to a business, except you don't distribute any profit. Mm-hmm. You gotta, you have to figure out how to uh, to to pay your employees. You got to figure out how to fund employees. You essentially need a product or a service. Mm-hmm. So if you, if you think about it in that those terms, uh, we have a service to the community. We don't um, take any dividends from our company. But we have to fund those programs and we have to offer them. They have to be attractive. The market has to want them. So there's a lot of similarities between business and nonprofit. Now, I went into the pastoral role knowing nothing about being a pastor. But I carried things from my military service and I carried things from taking care of customers. And I tried to apply those. And, of course, there's a lot of differences but there's a lot of similarities also. Mm. So I think that, uh, I think, like I said before, and I don't want to be redundant. If you have drive and you, and you care for people, you want to serve others, man, there's nothing that you can't do. Yeah. Nothing. I, that's what I believe. Now I'm very optimistic and I believe in a certain set of principles. And I believe those are those principles for me, they're biblical principles. They're, they're eternal principles. If you, yeah, absolutely. So, you can read the Bible all day long, but if you don't extract the biblical principles that translate to life, then you're just reading another book, right? Now, it's it's a divinely inspired book, but it has to translate to life. So if you, if you extract those biblical principles that are timeless, 
their eternal principles and you apply those to your life. That that's my guide. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't work for everybody, obviously, but that's my guide. And I've been the most successful in life by my standards. When I did that, I tried a lot of different things. I tried doing the sales thing without God. I tried doing a lot without God and I've been a hundred times more peaceful and successful with those principles applied to my life. Good for you. Yeah. Thank you. That's awesome. Yeah. So talking about success, um, and I, I'm, Full, full disclosure for, for whoever's listening. I'm totally stealing this from Tim Ferriss, but I oh, think cool. it's a fantastic yeah. question. Yeah, he's, he's, he's a fantastic interviewer. Yeah. yeah. Um, so talking about success, and you said, you know, you using these guiding principles, you know, this you've never felt more successful. Yeah. And it's created, you know, success for yourself. Hey, speaking of successful. Hi. Here is Elizabeth. She's she's joining us. So we're we're not going to stop rolling. We're just going to keep keep right on through it. Welcome to the podcast. Um, yeah, I'm excited. Welcome. Thanks for welcoming me. <laughs> so I'll let you get by. Thank you. There you okay, go. Okay. <clears throat> uh, so uh, we're we're talking about success, and so I guess two part question. Talk about some people that come to mind when you hear the word successful, and maybe before you answer that. What is your definition of success? Well, for me, it's changed, and I can go through the the, the iterations. Um, I, I looked at success before as racking up a huge income and having having the big house and the and all the cars. But ultimately, when I when I started to do that and I felt that success, it didn't feel like success. There was always a need for more for me. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Going back to serving, um, I, I told you that I had this desire to continue to serve others. And I, I think that is something that's, that's divinely placed in me. There's, there's uh, a scripture that says uh, that, the, that the eternity is, is placed in man's heart. It's Ecclesiastes 3.11 if you want to look at it. But God places eternity in man's heart and, and he gives us gifts to serve other people. So that that has transformed my idea of success to how much um, how much impact can I have with my life, and when when I went through that transformation, there was a lot of peace, uh, uh, the peace that surpasses all understanding. So I I if my my idea of success was a, a complete one eighty from what it is today ten years ago, but I've been I've gone down this path of desiring to serve others and trying to improve myself and trying to make an impact. And I see success now is uh, how many people can I encourage? Um, how many people can I serve? Uh, what can I do to, to, you know, and I don't mean to sound cliche, but to leave this place better than when I showed up. Yeah. And I fell often and uh, just like every other human does, but that, that really is what I'm focused on. And, and I've never been more driven and more more successful in my terms mm-hmm. than than today. So I know I'm on to the right path, my path, yeah. not everybody's path. It's just my path. That's right. Yeah, that's the only path you can you can live, isn't it? Yeah. I hope that everybody finds theirs, yeah. their path, because yeah. it's important. Yeah. Talk about some 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 role models or people that you that you look for. Obviously, and not trying to contrast what you just said mm-hmm. uh, because you can only live your path. You can only go down you know, your path. Everyone's path is going to be a little bit unique, but 
And I know you mentioned, you know, some people already, you know, Bill Winters and Bob Milner and Bob Koenig. Mm -hmm. Um, Who are some people that you surround yourself with that help you continue on your path, help you to continue to be successful and and be calm? Yeah. Well, I think my my calmness and my peace does come from my connection with God. Mm -hmm. I go to to scripture every morning. That's where I get peace for my day. Um, so really it, it's these, these role models from, from scripture that I follow that that's my first, my first role model. And of course, Christ is the best. He's, he's the best role model for me. And I want to, I want to learn more about him every single day. Mm -hmm. That's a lifelong journey to, to try to transform our life to be that for me to be more like his, uh, other role models in my life though, man, I got an incredible wife, man. I've got an incredible wife. She uh, she blows me away. Awesome. She blows me away. She's been so gracious to me. Good for you. And yeah. she's so humble. And uh, she loves the Lord and she loves to serve others. And she started this little ministry. It's, it's a women's group and they discuss how to be better wives and better mothers. And I've seen her grow. And she's a role model to me. She's a role model to me. She uh, teaches me how to be humble and care for our kids and care for others. I've got an incredible pastor at the church. I've got some incredible friends who I did ministry with. Just there's, there's so many people out there that if you're interested in finding good role models, um, they present themselves. I'm sure you've heard when the student's ready, the teacher appears. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's, that, that's how it works. That's how it works. So if, if we're ready to learn that the teacher is always there, mm-hmm. I believe. Mm-hmm. And I see him in the community every single day. Yeah. So, little segue. Talk about mm-hmm. talk about your wife. Talk about you know your marriage. What do you guys do? First off, how long have you been married? I've been married for uh, it'll be nine years in December. Yeah. Good for you. <laughs> yeah, nine years in Good December. Um, so clearly, <clears throat> by listening to this podcast and, and this conversation, you know there's already some some tenets and. And principles that you you know you instill to have a good marriage, but mm-hmm. um, what do you you know what do you what do you do to, to continue to have a good marriage? You have a great marriage. You have children, yeah. as well. Uh, so how many how many children do you have? I have uh, two mm-hmm. uh, out of our marriage yeah. and two in our marriage. Okay. So with Shelly, I have two. Okay, yeah. Uh, I've got a, a five year old. I've got an eight year old. I've got a, a ten year old, and I've got an eighteen year old. Yeah. So I had my daughter when I, um, I found out that, that I was pregnant with my daughter, uh, when I was in boot camp. So yeah, she's yeah. a great kid. Yeah. I have yeah. some great kids. So, so yeah, that's, that's not easy on a marriage. No. You know, having, no. having like, you know, a blended family. That's right. I mean, that's, that's an obstacle right there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so good for you for having an amazing marriage, um, and, having that, that obstacle already built into it. Yeah. Yeah. That's fantastic. Two, two things that I would recommend to any marriage. Um, the first one, the best recommendation that I could, that I could give is for, uh, for a husband and wife to get together and read the Bible together. And me and Shelly did this for a time. We got together, uh, first thing in the morning and we read Psalms and Proverbs together. For I think two or three years mm-hmm. straight, and as our relationship grew um, with God and each other, we split off, and now we do our own personal devotional time, mm-hmm. just reading the Scripture alone. Yeah. Yeah. 
But that was the best thing we ever did. The second best thing we ever did was start dating each other married. So we have a we have a calendar appointment to go on a date every two weeks. And that sounds automated or, you know, uh, it, it the best thing to do is automate those really important things. Mm-hmm. Have it on your calendar, repeating every two weeks on Thursday night at yeah. 630 and plan <laughs> out your babysitters. Yeah. Because if you're not dating your <clears throat> wife, man, you're missing out on, on some romance and connection, especially if you have kids. Now, luckily for you guys, you get to date every night. <laughs> but yeah, uh, yeah. me and Shelly get blasted with uh, yeah, all kinds of wild stuff, you know, from the kids and sure. the dog and that stuff. I'm, I'm sure you guys don't get to date every night. But so yeah. those two recommendations. Okay. Yeah. All right. Again, I can't empathize from from the kids' standpoint, but that is something that that we make sure that we do. You know, we have. I don't think we've got the automated thing down, um, but we do. We have we have time, you know, away from from work. We have time away from even our other friends. We have time just between the two of us, and and that actually took some time to figure out. So when we when we started the company um, in uh, in May of 2016. Um, you know, between my sales job uh, at the time um, and then, you know, Elizabeth trying to run the company, we basically found ourselves working seven days a week. And Easy to do. Yeah. When, when, you're starting, when you're starting a company trying to build something from scratch, it, it, you, know, you put your head down, you go to work, and at the first moment that you pick it up, it's several months have passed. By, Man, I don't think I took a day off. And while it's necessary, that can you know, burn away at some quality relationships. Mm -hmm. And so now Sundays, we, we really, really, really strive on Sundays. We don't, we don't work good. We don't go to appointments. We try not to answer the phone. We, we try to set that day aside so that there's beginning and end to every week. Good. And so that we can also know that, Hey, it's okay to work on Saturday and it's okay to be up early every day or work late on Monday or whatever, but we know we have Sunday set aside. And so kind of a similar vein of, Hey, look, six thirty, Thursday, we're going to, you know, put the kids with the babysitter. We're going to, you know, not look at our phones or emails, or whatever we're going to, we're going to go on a date. Cause you have to have that connection. You have to be engaged with, it, with each other. Yeah. And I, I want to add that we, we didn't just start dating. We went probably five or six years without dating each other, and we ran into some marriage trouble, and we went to a marriage counselor, and our marriage counselor said, you guys are doing a lot of things right, but you need to date each other. And we took her advice. She said to do it every week, and we said, man, we can't afford that. Um, So we do it every other week, and that strengthened our marriage, and we look forward to it. And we're, yeah. one, we, we shut the door in the car as we're leaving the house, and we, we look at each other and go, we're free. We're on a date. <laughs> <laughs> so. Oh, that's great. That's awesome. <laughs> All right. So a couple of um, – we're kind of getting close here to our end. I want to be mindful of, um, of your time. Um, I'm always curious. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, I, and I asked uh, – Philip, this and, and I, I think I need to ask him again. I don't know if he answered the question, but but nonetheless, I'm always curious of people's of, of, of different jobs that you've had. Whether you know you're a paper boy, you know when you're six years old, or you know whatever, or selling peer builds in your twenties. Mm-hmm. What was the worst job that you ever had? And, not, and I'm not trying to be a, a glass half empty type person, um, 
but it could also be just a job that you have that you signed up for and you know you liked it but you're like I know I'm not going to do that again I don't want to do that job and, and here's why so I'm, yeah. I'm always curious well that that's a tough question for me okay because I look back at my experience and I know that they formed me mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but I was about year <laughs> About three year three and a half in the military, I knew I was not going to stay in the military. So I drudged through my last year and a half. Mm-hmm. And there was a point where uh, um, we were in Iraq. And we were showering behind uh, plywood with bottles of water to clean ourselves. And we were um, pouring diesel in our makeshift toilets so we could burn off human waste. Stirring it to to get rid of it. And I thought to myself, I'm in Iraq. (laughs) I'm I'm showering with water bottles. I'm stirring other people's uh, waste in diesel fire. Yeah. This is, this is, I got to do something else. (laughs) (laughs) And people were telling me to do that. Yeah. And I didn't like that. Yeah. And, uh, but, but, you know, the experiences that came from the humility, the the laughter that came from that, mm-hmm. it, it was all worth it. So, yeah. I don't know that I have um, a worse job, mm-hmm. but when you wake up in the morning and you're dreading going to work, there's something wrong either internally or there's something wrong externally, and it's not good for people to live that way. So that's happened to me in a lot of different jobs where I woke up and said. This job isn't for me, and life's too short. I got to figure out something else that fuels me. You should wake up fueled. You should wake up passionate, ready to to tackle the day. Yeah. And if you're not doing that, there there there's some things that you can change internally um, to to make that happen. But you might need a job change. You might need a career change too. Sure. And you're never too old to to start again. Never too old. I mean, humans are fascinating. There's a good quote from Albert Einstein. He said, he says, and it's very black and white. He says, either everything in this life is a miracle or nothing in this life is a miracle. And I believe everything's a miracle. I believe, I believe that we came, we either came from everything Mm -hmm. or we came from nothing. Those are the two very disparate worldviews. And, and I believe we're a miracle. Our bodies, our mind, our emotions, our relationships. And when we, when we see ourselves that way, the possibilities are limitless. Yeah. 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 That's very fascinating. I like that. So aside from the Bible, uh-huh. you read every day. What are a couple of the books that have had a profound impact on you? Well, I, I, I automatically go to Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Mm-hmm. That's a fantastic book. I love that book. There's so many good principles. There's biblical principles, foundational, eternal principles in that book. If you can find them and apply them to your life, they'll change your life. Um, other really good ones. Uh, we've done so many good, so many good books. It's it's hard to, you know, just pull out a few. Yeah. But um, I, I really liked Five Dysfunctions of a Team from Patrick Lencioni. That's a good one. I really love. Now these are business profiles, and I and I do think I do have a business mind. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. drawn to business books. Uh, but Good to Great was a fantastic mm-hmm. book. Um, really good. Uh, written by really smart people. I loved Tools of Titans. And I'm looking over at your books right <laughs> yeah. now. That, that's a cool book because you can learn from uh, an eclectic group of people. Yep. Uh, 
I'll, I'll have to get back to you with some of my other. There's there's a book that we're doing in our integrated leaders program. It's called The Power of Full Engagement. I loved that book. Power um, of full engagement. Man, A Man's Search for Meaning by uh, by Viktor Frankl was man an incredible book. Have you guys read that? Mm-hmm. It's an no, incredible book. What's the name again? It's called A Man's Search for Meaning. Man's Search for Meaning. Yeah. Yeah. By Viktor Frankl. Very good book. I'll have to check that out. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Clearly, <clears throat> between the two of us, we, we love to read as well. So good. I'm always fascinated uh, what people's books are that, mm-hmm. that you like to read. Um, because I, there, there's always something. There's always a, a book or two. Yeah. That you, you have some crossover, like Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, Tools of Titans. But then you also have... You know that that one or two other books that uh, you never have um, have read before. So we have some guests. Um, all right, we'll we'll wrap up here. I, I do want to talk, have you give you an opportunity to talk a little bit more about um, some of the other programs that the Vel the Vel is is doing. Uh-huh. So you talk about the Integrated Leaders Program, mm-hmm. uh, and then you also do a monthly uh, series. You have a speaker. Um, that uh, you organize and, and open up to the public. Uh, they can come and, and listen to you. You just had Cordy Bunch um, this past month. Um, I can't remember who you had in, uh, in January, February. But anyway, talk about some of the, the other programs that Bell does. Yeah, those are quarterly speaking engagements, and really those are like outreaches into the community mm-hmm. where we find somebody that we think has accomplished a lot in life. Um, we had Gordy Bunch, uh, who's the... Uh, uh, the Woodlands Township uh, Chairman. Mm-hmm. Um, he's also the founder of TWFG Insurance, built an incredible business, $600 million business, and he, he was also a veteran, uh, mm-hmm. did some really cool stuff in the military. So we find these fascinating guys who can get up and talk and motivate people yep. and inspire people. And we have them come in on a quarterly basis. And then from there, we move into our leadership programs that are seven weeks long. Uh, they're an hour uh, per week on Monday or Tuesday night. Those are the integrated leaders programs. And we go through a book while we're in there. Mm-hmm. And then we're, we, we've got a startup and business essentials course that's launching where we brought seven unique instructors to come in and teach different aspects of business. And then of course we have the podcast. Mm-hmm. What we're focused on doing is building, um, really a new model for impacting veterans, entrepreneurs, and leaders lives. And I really think that's going to be a face-to-face relational development institute model. Um, we've got our podcast, and that probably has the biggest reach right now. But if, if we can – we're building an institute right here that we'd like to come up with a blueprint for and give away. I mean, th- this charity that we're building, it's essentially it, – it's owned by the public. Mm-hmm. So if we can build something successful, a successful mo- model that develops veterans' strengths, connects them with entrepreneurs and leaders, and sees them as a, as a very investable asset, something that's important to the community, then we can, we can build that model and give it away. And, and, and really, it's a proactive approach to, to serving others. Yeah. Focused on strengths and not weaknesses. Where can people find and learn more about Vell? <clears throat> How can they get involved uh, if they want to get involved in any of the programs? Uh, where can they go? A couple ways. Uh, the website's vellinstitute.org, V-E-L institute dot 
O-R-G. Mm-hmm. Um, also on Facebook or LinkedIn, they can find us there. Uh, Facebook forward slash Bell Institute. Mm-hmm. We're, we're, we're looking for two different people. Um, people that see the vision of what we're doing and want to be involved financially to support us because we need uh, donation dollars to make our programs run and to build this institute. And we're looking for people to be engaged in the programs, whether that's a facilitator or a speaker or a participant who wants to grow. Now, we're kind of in this growth mentality, but I really do believe that it's a small population of people that wake up every day and say, I want to get better today. And I want to do that proactively by reading and learning and attending classes and sharpening myself. I don't think that's a huge population. So finding those people, getting the word out to veterans and entrepreneurs and leaders with that mindset is is cool. So uh, helping us find participants, speakers, um, and then donation dollars. Those are the two <clears throat> things that we're always looking for. Awesome. Anything else before we wrap up? Thanks for having me, man. I, you you guys are doing a fantastic job with Everson Cooper. Uh, I meet people often that know you guys, and you guys have a huge head start on life. So keep up the good keep up the good work. Well, awesome. Well, thank you for that. Um, that that means a lot. We're I feel like we're just getting started, and uh, we we've done a lot already. Um, uh, but I feel like we're just getting started. I imagine you feel the same way. And um, so you're doing incredible things. Keep it up. Vel is fantastic. I love your story. I learn a ton more about you and about your journey, and I'm even more fascinated. Um, and my respect for you has grown. So appreciate you coming on to our podcast, and um, I, I look forward to listening to more of uh, the Vel, uh, Vel Institute podcasts as well. They, they were fantastic. Thanks a lot. Appreciate you guys having awesome. me on. Thanks, Terry. Thanks. Hey, everyone. Before you go, we just wanted to thank you for listening. And if you enjoyed this episode, then be sure to check us out every Wednesday for our latest episode. Visit us at eversoncooper.com slash podcast or find us on iTunes and any other podcast players. Thanks for listening.